This is not great. I, you know, we sometimes we try to open the show with a kind of a lighthearted look at anxiety and, uh, oh, this makes me anxious. Uh. There are 4.23 billion smartphones being used around the world right now. Do you know that? I did not, but that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> not even thinking. <laughs> Checks yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That, that works yeah, with yeah. my math. <laughs> and we know that smartphone use, it's, it's a necessity for many of us. You know, so many things in the world you can't do if you don't have some sort of access. Well, it turns out people who are less emotionally stable are more likely to be addicted to their smartphones, Tom. More ad- likely to be addicted? How is one addicted to a phone? Really? Well... I mean, have you not heard anything in the world about <laughs> really addicted, meaning you have to. I, I see people that just sort of check it all the time. That's smartphone addiction, man. Oh, that's what we're taught. It's exactly it. You can't put it down. You're always in it. You're on a train and everybody's looking at the phones uh, all the time. Head down, nose down in the phones. Kids can't put the phones down. Yep. Give me your phone. Okay. Hey, let me have your phone because you're not paying attention at dinner. No, I'll put it away. That's what an addict says. No, I got this. I'll put it away. Dirty, (laughs) dirty addict. Right? My worry is that it's going to get worse when we eventually, Black Mirror style, have our cell phones in our brains or in our eyes already. I'll be suspicious if anyone's wearing glasses. Are you really looking at me or are you watching Netflix? Like, I'll just always assume. Probably, (laughs) probably yes. Yeah. They're watching Netflix. Here's the thing. Okay. A team of psychologists from the University of Derby and Nottingham Trent University. Mm. University of Derby, Nottingham Trent University. Oh, after secondary school. That's not one university. That's two. University of Derby. Oh. And... Nottingham Trent University, but I only just figured that out. So <laughs> it really does roll together. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it really sure does. Until you know they've used university twice in their name. That's, right. That was the clue. Good point. Anyhow, conducted an online study of 640 smartphone users aged 13 to 69 to find out the association between smartphone use and personality traits. Mm. It turns out. Uh, that there is a uh, high correlation between those who struggle with mental health and their likelihood to more intensively use their smartphone as a form of therapy. And when I say therapy, I don't mean therapy in a good way. Yeah, They are using their phone as a way to distance themselves from reality, to numb out from whatever pain they are feeling. Anxiety levels increase in an individual the more they use their smartphone. So this is a deflationary oh, spiral, Tom. Okay, yeah. You're feeling bad. You use your phone and then you can't stop using your right. phone and continue to feel worse. So it gets impacted. Oh, science. It is impacted. That is actually like wisdom teeth. Right. It is impacted. Yeah. Well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's really terrible. Problematic <laughs> smartphone use, says Dr. Zahir Hussein. Uh, lecturer in psychology at University of Derby. Uh, He says problematic smartphone use is more complex than previously thought. And our research has highlighted the interplay of various psychological factors in the study of smartphone use. Emotional stability is characterized by being stable and emotionally resilient. And in our study, we found being less emotionally stable was associated with this problematic smartphone behavior. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, watch it. Anxiety doesn't help you in your journey to no. stop playing that damned Angry Birds. Yeah, it's like Jurassic Park. Anxiety finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> Anxiety will always find a way. You show me if the season is ending. Is this hardship surrender? Through this curse in the sea. 
Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. You should probably let us hear from you. Here's how to do it. Open up your email box and send a note to us at somethingstinky at rashpixel.fm. And if you're so inclined, you can record your uh, an audio clip of yourself. Tell us your story and email it to us again, somethingstinky at rashpixel.fm. I still don't care for that. It's not going away, Tom. <laughs> we have to face it. Okay, this is a weird one. I'm not sure how relatable this is going to be. Uh, it's not debilitating, but it's real and it's weird, and it sort of seems to have come out of nowhere. And so I thought it would be worth talking about. You game? Always. Growing up, my paternal grandparents lived in a community called Hideaway Lake in Lindale, Texas. And we'd go out there to visit a couple times a year, but especially every Thanksgiving. And every Thanksgiving within the retirement community, maybe it wasn't a retirement community, within the community there was a giant pool and then a giant lake next to it. Hideaway Lake. There you go. And we'd play something called Lake Tag. The water was so green and dark that you couldn't see anything as soon as it went underwater. So whoever was it would take a deep breath, sink underwater, and then pick a direction to swim to, <laughs> trying to find someone. And everyone else would be above the water, sort of frantically paddling around, hoping the person that was it wouldn't burst out of the water right next to you. Great. Okay. <laughs> Tom. We already have a problem? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, significant problem. Oh, right now. All right. And you are. This is what you have just described. I don't know where you're going, but what you've just described for me is ants for you. Ah, oh, really? Yeah. So keep going. I just want you to know. Relatable. I'm in full like like <laughs> hair on the back of my neck. <laughs> okay. Uh, is, is I'm on high alert right now. Wow. I'm not comfortable. Not comfortable. Well, then this is, I thought that I'd just sort of be out on a limb like you were last week with your motorboat intestine. Uh, okay, so maybe <laughs> maybe we'll be on the same page. Um, why I brought it up is because it's a happy memory. I loved playing in that lake. But at some point later in life, and it doesn't seem to be related to a certain thing, I developed a minor case of <gasps> limnophobia, the fear of marshes or lakes. <laughs> <laughs> Not... This is such a great learning thing. <laughs> that word, I've never heard of that word. It comes from, uh, the origin of the word is limno, it's Greek, meaning lake, and phobia, which of course is Phobos, the Greek god of yikes. Uh, and the people with this phobia tend to fear they may drown in the lake, get sick from the water, or attacked by something in the lake. Uh, again, it is not debilitating. I have been able to swim in lakes on many occasions, <laughs> but it always gives me pause. Like I sort of have to psych myself up a little bit in order to when I first sort of get out there and I'm floating around. The weird part about it is that I love water. Oceans and rivers are amazing. I want to spend all my time there. And my love of oceans over lakes seems weird in this context because the ocean has like monsters in it, <laughs> like actual <laughs> monsters. What do we got? We got sharks. Sharks are just start with just start with sharks. Start with and sharks. There is always the it, and then it just goes up from there because yeah. there's always another. Hey, here's a mysterious sea creature. We're pretty confident lives in the bottom of the ocean <laughs> right. that we haven't seen in four million years, but will undoubtedly wash up exactly uh, on the shore of. Yeah, it, absolutely. Cape, like that Cape one, Cod. that one uh, fish that has a light bulb. 
hanging in front, uh-huh. in front of it. I don't know what it's called, and I clearly don't. Yeah. My computer doesn't. I don't know how my computer works. Oh, I've been staying off my cell phone. That's why I didn't look it up. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, and then you swim up and it's you like see a, it's like a hue light. Right. It's like a hue light. It'll change color to lure people like me. Right, and then you go up and it eats you with its nightmare teeth. <laughs> Evolution, let that happen. That's a disaster. And sharks are just wet murder machines. So I mean, the ocean is a horror show. But none of those things bother me. I'm not worried about going in the ocean. And But lakes freak me out. Uh, there's two triggers I know for me. The first one is the ground walking into a lake feels so gross and mushy. I don't think that's really a phobia. That's just I don't care for it. It just it feels alive. It feels unstable. Yeah. Just the fact that it's not sandy. I mean, there's just something really distasteful about that. And the big one for me is that I can't see below the surface. Uh-huh. That uh, as soon as you know past your feet, everything's gone. I said about limnophobia before that the fear seems to be based in they'll drown in the lake, get sick from the water, or attacked by something in the lake. Okay, now here's the part. I'm definitely, what my weird, non-debilitating, but still important to talk about, fear is definitely the third one, attacked by something in the lake. But I have to be honest, and this is where it gets a little confusing, is because I'm not actually afraid of snakes. Or things that are would live in a lake. I think part of me honestly has just read too much horror fiction because I think <laughs> part of me honestly is afraid of monsters. And I'm not I don't believe yeah. in monsters. They're monsters. But the fact that something about the lake, there's something under there, something that we don't know about, something that mankind, as you sort of brought up, has not yet seen, that's just down there waiting. One of them was creep show too. Yes, the raft. Yes, exactly. Oh my God, the raft. Um, With the, the, the moldy thing across the top of the water. That was a horrible the, thing. The uh, oil slick that uh, melts you alive. Yes, it's funny that you bring that up. I have in my notes that as I was sitting here trying to think, where does this fear come from? I was looking up at my uh, bookshelf and right above Becker, the denial of death, which I brought up before, is actually <laughs> uh, a well-worn copy of Skeleton Crew. Oh, for crying out loud. Uh, by Stephen King. And that's the one where the raft is. And I I remember I was I started with Stephen King very early, meaning that was one of my first. Uh, actually, it was The Eyes of the Dragon was my first, quote unquote, adult book to read as a kid. Uh, and so I've been a Stephen King fan ever since. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm going to I'm just going to say I'm going to go on the record and say that w- however old you were, it was likely too early. <laughs> Based on me or based on Stephen King? Oh. Based on no, no, based on you. Sure, clearly yeah. based on. You. <laughs> and then under that is my book of ant pictures. Um, no, it's uh... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that I read that story a really long time ago, and it is for those that are not uh, familiar with the raft or have seen Creepshow Two. Uh, four kids go out on a lake and they swim out to a uh, floating raft in the middle of the lake, and they notice that there's sort of this. What looks like an oil slick uh, sort of floating around, which turns out to be sentient, which turns out to be a terrible killer of kids on rafts, apparently. And so they're just trapped on the raft. And the thing that really hits me about the raft is we don't know what that is. It's never explained. There's no doctor comes down and goes, oh, that's the blank. It's just gross and mysterious and disgusting. And it's on a it's on a lake, and lakes are the worst. Dirty oil slick, uh, filthy oil slick, wet oil slick, all fine words to use with oil slick, but sentient is never a good word <laughs> with oil slick. No, it's a lose-lose. Totally it can't lose be happy. Lose. It can't be happy. It must no. be like, great, a lake. <laughs> 
Um, I do yeah. have one thing to share. Speaking of, because when I saw Skeleton Crew, I was like, what else has I have I read that maybe would have spurred some of this lake stuff? And I have a very quick thing to share. Okay. Uh, because a lot of these monsters that I apparently am thinking can somehow exist, that's real H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft stuff. Yes. H.P. Lovecraft, the author, which is always about old, incredibly ancient dark demons that used to rule the world and have now been sleeping and now they're coming back this is the the house of cthulhu stuff right? correct exactly um yeah. if you can please cue some spooky music oh i can the nightmare lake <laughs> oh, so oh you mean not i okay, mean later <laughs> some betting music yeah <laughs> uh this is a portion of the nightmare lake by hp lovecraft there is a lake in distant zan beyond the wanted haunts of man where broods alone in a hideous state a spirit dead and desolate here shines by day the searing sun on glassy wastes beheld by none and here by night pale moonbeams flow into the deeps that yawn below in nightmares only it is told what scenes beneath these beams unfold what scenes too old for human sight lie sunken there in endless night and that's it that's what I'm talking about. Old, unseen creatures lying dormant underwater, just waiting to rise up and snatch me. And I guess drag me down below with them. And it's so... I don't believe in monsters, Pete, but I do apparently sometimes believe in lake monsters. <laughs> okay, let me first say that that H.P. Lovecraft would have been a crazy smartphone addict. <laughs> yeah, Come he was on. not talking to anyone on the he bus. He was like he was, patient no. number one. <laughs> uh, now, I can't believe that you picked this today because I, I actually think, I mean, you say yours is, is not debilitating. I would say mine is debilitating. I haven't been in a lake since I was probably 13. Really? Um, really? I was in a, I went river swimming uh, with some friends, and I swam across the river. The river was not deep, but I swam across the river to a rocky outcropping, uh, and and I was caught in an undertow. Ooh! Um, and and I was dragged down to what ended up being much deeper than the rest of the lake, and nobody knew that I was there. And I kicked and, oh. was, and felt the air get sucked out of my lungs, and just managed. Oh God, it's really hard to talk about, right? Because I just managed to kind of kick and find the wall and push out of it uh and that was the last time i intentionally went into uh submerged myself into a body of water that was not a bath or a pool wow and so okay, sure i it, it was even before that i i was in a lake and i lost <laughs> swimming with flippers and at a at a camp and uh i i swam into some uh you know i i couldn't see it but there was some undergrowth there and you know it the the seaweed reached up the mighty hand of i'll say cthulhu yeah. reached up <laughs> from the bottom of the thing this and took one of my flippers tom it took one of my flippers <laughs> and then so i came back with like hobbling know. with only one flipper oh. never recovered and so then the lake thing or the river thing happened and that was it yeah i don't i don't go into oceans i don't go into any really so none of that okay yeah i have none of it none of it i find it horrible and now this is the thing that that i wonder about I don't have a desire at all to confront this. Right. Right. I feel like my life is so much better <laughs> when I'm not swimming in open water of any sort. <laughs> right. 
You don't miss <laughs> so, it. There's, it doesn't sound like, but but you have real. Those are two real situations where something happened. Right. I mean, it, it happened at a very formative sure. point. I it 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 just was incredibly terrifying. Uh, yeah, and so I I have never had any desire to face it. Now I come, I I am now in a family of swimmers. They love going to the lake. They mm. love swimming. My wife was a synchronized swimmer, a competitive swimmer. No. Uh, my daughter is an incredibly talented competitive speed swimmer, and and so these are they just they love the water and they are really baffled by why I it does I, it it doesn't phase me at all. Sure. That um, that that I'm not in the water uh, at all. It terrifies me. And so oh, I've wow. chosen the only way it doesn't terrify me is if I just have said, you know, to the world, this is not a thing I do. I'm not a lake guy. I sure. don't tube. I don't boat very often. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it takes an awful lot of peer pressure to get me in a boat. Sure. Uh, I am. I am Jaws to Chief Brody. <laughs> You're just done. You got it. Uh, yeah. You Done. don't need a bigger boat. Got you just it. stay out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> stay out of the water. Uh, Brody, he don't go in the water. Nope. <laughs> so I think it's fantastic that you bring this up today. Okay. That we did not talk. And in fact, I'm going to call this a steal because it's actually was on my list for later. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. This is unprecedented. Yeah. <laughs> Episode five. The first <laughs> overlap of stuff. We now yeah. can keep, we can start keeping score. <laughs> Excellent. <is> <laughs> Well, uh, before, uh, just to wrap up, if you're when your family looks at you and says, Dad, husband, why are you so weird about lakes? There's nothing ever to worry about. Of course, monsters aren't real. I did a little digging. <laughs> <laughs> it is very rare, but it is real. There is something called primary amoebic meningoencephalitis which they literally call Pam, which is very sweet. <laughs> this is the first amoeba that also works at a diner. Uh, that Pam, <laughs> it is caused by a waterborne amoeba called Nagilria fowleri. It is a parasite that is brain-eating. It's a brain-eating parasite that is common in fresh, warm water. Oh. Uh, it's, it really only affects children sure for some is. reason. And from 1984 to 2013, so about 30 years, there were 28 cases of PAM recorded to the, uh, reported, I'm sorry, to the Texas Department of State Health Services. So that's just about under one case per year. But it is very, very dangerous. Uh, it swims inside of you. Through your ear holes or your nose holes, it eats your brain, Pete. <laughs> uh, luckily, now we have a life-saving investigational drug uh, called Impavido, Impavido, uh, which is able to, it started with just being housed at the CDC, but now they have uh, transported the drug to a lot of different places like Texas, Arizona, places that apparently have a lot of lakes and a lot of brain-eating amoebas. And so uh, the oh, God. chance for fatality is very low, but I found a monster. I found a lake monster, Pete, and it's gross, and it sounds just like an oil slick. It is yeah. the worst kind of monster because it comes in through your your head holes. Yeah, your head oh, holes. You made it so much worse. You made it so much worse. <laughs> but you can tell your family that. Because I thought I was just worried about poop coming in through your nose. It turns out. <laughs> no, there's so much more. I'm worried about Pam in my nose. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, the last couple of weeks, I feel like, I've, and and in fact, this very episode, they've mm. been pretty heavy for me. 
Mm, yep. The thazagoraphobia, fear of being forgotten, the bury, being buried alive. These are very heavy things. They've spent the last week in Las Vegas. Oh. In Las Vegas, it's a very different culture. Yeah. Culture. <laughs> I don't know. That, that word seems very nice to Vegas. Culture. Well, yes. That's what they have. Culture was not the laugh line I'd intended it to Sorry. be. Uh, I walk into Vegas and I walk into Vegas like it's under the dome. And uh, and it's just it's it's shock. And it's shock for me, I think, in particular, because I've been living in Oregon for so long. Uh, you know, going 20 years now, everything about it, the size, the scale, the lights, the the pace, the the fact that the schedule never quite wanes down to quiet yep. uh, in the evening. Right. It, it all shocks my system. Sure. But one thing that I realized on this trip that I struggled with is I worry that I don't care enough about what I look like. <laughs> Okay, keep going. <laughs> this is exciting. I I started looking up, at thinking about you know what are there, what are the the symptoms of of a fashion anxiety, hmm. right? and and it turns out that there are some significant fashion anxieties, right? Fashion, that, that people fashion anxiety, and this is this yes. me meaning a fear of not being fashionable, or I guess you're about to explain. I could actually let you talk. It's actually even more sort of pathological than that. Oh. And and that's what I was, was worried. I was just thinking, okay, maybe I just haven't worked very hard over the last 10 years since I became a freelancer and work out of my house to actually care about my appearance. And I, I'll open the bidding with this. I have discovered, <laughs> Tom, yeah. hemp pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's not real. It's totally real. And I've fallen in love with them. They are from uh, Prana, which is usually a women's like athletic yoga kind of company. Like Prana? Pr I, I don't not know. Prada. Prana. 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 Not the devil. Okay. Prana. I Sorry. Prana. And, and so I found these pants and my wife actually found them at, at REI. And they, they're made of, of a mix of hemp. If you don't like look real hard at them, they look like slacks. Right. They, they look sure. like, like, but they have the texture of pajama pants. Oh, now I'm listening. And there's no like belt loop. It's a soft, uh, elastic waist. <laughs> so are you sure these are pants? They're, they're so pants. And I bought, <laughs> I bought three pair of these essentially yoga pants because huh. if you wear like a button down shirt over them, um, they actually they nobody let's just say this nobody said anything to me about why are you wearing pajama pants on this client gig because they actually look like kind of nice tweed pants i was working with clients and you were working with clients who would have maybe said that got it totally pulled it off huh. but it got me thinking because i'm every time i would like go in the bathroom and i'd like feel the waist of these pants i'm like is this a sign that i've given up <laughs> like <laughs> Am I just a, a really tall child? <laughs> I mean, undoubtedly, yes. Sure. So I started looking into fashion anxiety. And for me, huh. I think it's it's different. What I found was people who are deeply struggling with the role fashion plays in their lives. Mm. For me, my disorder, I think, is that maybe I don't care enough. But I want to go back to the people who are really struggling with this because I feel like it's it's worth at least acknowledging how others are impacted by uh, this this sort of fashion anxiety. It turns out that people in abusive relationships, love avoidant, uh, love addiction, people who are are highly open to being 
controlled by others. Fashion is the way in. Controlling friends, controlling significant others, controlling parents will exert influence in this narcissistic relationship by determining what you wear, by buying clothes for you, and you will feel in in some sense indebted to them, to this relationship, to wear what other people tell you to wear. Ugly sweater syndrome, sure. Ugly sweater syndrome. Exactly. And and so I I think that is absolutely worth just acknowledging. It's not directly what I deal with, but sure. it is something that's that is deeply um, sensitive for folks. I'm curious if there are other listeners who have who are dealing with in, in some case, uh, you know, this. And by definition, that starts so young. Yes. Because you hate that sweater that Aunt Margie gave you or Pam, ugh, Lake Pam gave you. Oh, Pam. But then when she comes over, you're forced to put it on. Yes. But that's when you're a child. It's so that's that's super interesting. This sort of fashion is it's it's a little bit of an insidious kind of fashion anxiety, and it can actually uh, come at you in from two different directions. First is I I think um, this is one we might expect, which is dressing up low self esteem, right? Mm-hmm. And in, in in this case, it's not even low self esteem. It can be depression. It can be anxiety. It can be whatever. That fashion becomes an easy mask for what you're feeling inside. You spend a lot of time, you dress up, you, um, you, you know, spend a lot of money on clothes, you're wearing the best clothes, you're wearing the, the latest trends, the latest brands. And in fact, that these, this, this is really a costume, I that see. it's something to, to, you know, help you, um, sort of mask what you feel like. Like that old joke about the guy that has the really, really flashy sports car. You're wondering what he's got going on in his bathing suit area. <laughs> yeah, sure. exactly. Okay. That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. And so this this affects men and women equally, right? That, that you know, you dress up low self-esteem or depression. That's not a gender thing. I think it does come into play when you look at dressing uncomfortably. Hmm. This was written about two people who are so adept at using fashion to mask what they're feeling inside that they wear things that look nice but are just straight up uncomfortable, right? And, yep. and now we're talking, I think, more about women, right. the, the, you know, suffering through footwear. Oh, my God. I don't understand why people don't rise up against high heels i don't either maybe they like them maybe i should i'm not a a woman i shouldn't talk about it like as if i am but i mean that just seems like a prison that we have put (laughs) females into is that that is what's socially acceptable is high heels because they just seem like they're so uncomfortable absolutely oh my goodness so when your feet are are screaming at you uh when you're you know your organs you're wearing things that are too tight you're you have to fit into the that one pair of jeans that kind of a thing and so as a result your butt may look great but my goodness your kidneys and liver are really struggling because they're being cinched out of position that's what they they have termed dressing in spite of your body in spite of your body right in spite of your body right dress dressing uncomfortably because you you are not confident in who you are. What were those old things called that we we, we would tie women? Corsets. Up? Corsets. Corsets. Ah, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Got it. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, now, on the other side of this, we have I don't care couture. Which is, we say that heavily in in quotes. This uh, is probably <laughs> it's probably me. I have decided. I decided when I went freelance that I'm not going to wear ties anymore. Mm. I don't. I have. I think a tie 
that I just haven't gotten over to Goodwill. Sure. But that's it. I don't I don't do ties anymore. I feel like ties are the the male equivalent of high heels. They're just terrible. <laughs> and so I don't I don't have ties anymore. I just want to live a life okay. that I don't have ties. Sure. And so now I have these hemp soft pajama pants that I can pull <laughs> off outside too. Sure. Could this lead to a debilitating problem? Right. Apparently it can. Eventually you're just mowing the you're mowing the lawn in your bathroom. <laughs> Bathrobe, sorry, right. not bathroom. That's right. Suddenly, I'm cu- cousin Eddie. Right, uh, and and so I'll say I I don't necessarily feel like this is trouble. I've made some real conscious decisions about how I live my life, and I know how to button a shirt. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I started buzzing my head. Right, I I started shaving my head um, specifically because this was a thing that my anxiety was getting the better of me. It was giving me too much to think about, and I needed to remove that as an option. So I started I like buzzing my head. Control, yeah. sure. Right, I want to control what I think about day to day Mm -hmm. and and not struggle with that. But it turns out that the dark side of that is that when you stop caring about presentation, that it can lead to socialization challenges, Uh, that it's not you may start to convince yourself that it's cool not to care what other people think. But as it happens, there is a system in the world. And at some point, you have to be able to turn on your ability to latch into it. And when you lose that, that can lead to increased depression, increased anxiety. You know, when you have no reminder, no external reminder, it in fact has other implications. Like, for example, maybe you stop caring about what you eat. Hmm. And suddenly you you're losing a sense of physicality, of health, of mm-hmm. who cares? I'm going to eat some more chips and some more just hot dog buns, you know, with Nutella on them, uh, because who cares? <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I've got my soft pajama pants. Sure. I thought that was I, I think that's pretty interesting now. And that is interesting because it also connects to your cold open that you talked about. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Looking at your phone because you're nervous, you get more and more. Same with this kind of thing. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. The self-fulfilling prophecy around fashion. What is your sense of fashion? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, (laughs) I mean, I just, I don't really know if I know how to dress myself. I'm looking fine, but I don't really have a fashion sense. I have not a ton of clothes that I sort of vary from. I'm just sort of, I feel like I'm dressing fairly functionally. Like I look fine. I'm wearing uh, button down shirts and pants and shorts and things like that, but there's very little effort given into I mean, the most effort, if I can be completely honest, is sometimes I wear a lot of black because it is slimming. Oh, yes. I learned that one rule from like some episode of TV 19,000 years ago. (laughs) And I was like, got it. Fashion check. And then that's just sort of all I really have. So, no, I mean, I've had friends that have taken me out and helped me shop a little bit because I hate it. I hate the entire process of clothes shopping. So I don't really have uh, a lot of that. And I think I've given myself a little bit of a pass of I'm dressing functionally and maybe that's where I am until I have someone that can really, unfortunately, take my hand and lead me through it. I don't really know what I look good in. um, And so I've sort of turned my back on it a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I sort of get that. And, and I think for me, the, the practical nature of what I'm wearing is so much more important. That old axiom dress for the job you want. I, it always turned my stomach a little bit because Mm -hmm. no job I want would require me to dress a certain way. Dress for the job you want. Hello, hemp pants. (laughs) (laughs) You're hired. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) The rules of thumb, it turns out, for modern success 
mm-hmm. uh, in in dressing that is dressing for psychological well-being, personal sort of social well-being uh, and health is really to dress for you and no one else. OK, OK. You, you do have to consider at some level how what you wear impacts the way you latch into society if your role requires something of that. But you also you need to make sure that what you are wearing is something that makes you feel strong and confident and good, whether you go out and about or whether you sit around in your hem- pants all day. Uh, hmm. If if you feel good and strong about them, you will uh, that that should be driving your fashion decisions. And and I think that really shows. And I just want to say, you know, I'm uh, for those who don't know me, I'm part of what I do is I'm, I'm a photographer and. People ask me all the time, what should I wear? What should I wear for pictures, for family pictures, whatever pictures? And, and I, that's usually my advice. And a lot of photographers has, have some hard and fast rules. Don't wear horizontal stripes, right? right. Don't wear busy patterns, right? And they'll say that. For me, it's, it is really much more about are you wearing something that makes you feel good? Are you wearing something that makes you feel confident? Because you can read that on their face. It is yes. amazing. It, it doesn't have to just be a mask. It can be it can be armor. It can be armor. Oh, I love the way you put that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. If you're feeling absolutely. better, then that will absolutely show. Yeah. That makes sense. That encapsulates the first three rules of thumbs. Dress for you and no one else. Think about what you wear. Uh, so think about the socialization, the impact of socialization on what you wear. And show off your positive qualities, right? Don't use your clothes to hide who you are, but use your clothes to accentuate the the positive in, in you, to find the things that you can really celebrate and frame uh, and, and be an inspiration uh, in, in what you wear. And the last one, which, uh, you know, just to lock this out uh, down, don't hurt yourself. Uh, and, Back and to the corset that, I think, part. is the new one, right? Yeah. Sure. No corsets. Yeah. The heels, you know, I, uh, you don't have to do that anymore. And if you do have to do that, maybe consider why you have to do that. Who are you doing it for? If you like it because it makes you taller and it gives you some sort of confidence, then absolutely rock those heels. If you're not in a situation where you have to and you hate them, ideally, you'd be able to question that norm. Right. Those are good. That that makes me feel inspirational. A little bit lighter. Yep. Nobody this week got buried alive. <laughs> Yet. And I, I'm going to call that a... <laughs> and then you did a little bit of research. <laughs> I Arizona actually, woman gonna... buried by fashion. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go easy on that this week, Tommy. That is it. I feel yeah. like just do, reading up on, on how... it. it it dis- it is distressing in and of itself that fashion anxiety is a thing, right? Mm. It, it yeah. I, I I just hate that it that it exists. Yes, but that it exists, and there are ways we can get out of it. It might be, in fact, a very simple way uh, to sort of restart how you think about yourself. I would also say uh, that here we are, two guys, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm talking about fashion anxiety from the perspective of a um, uh, dare I say middle aged man. Sure, uh, marijuana pants. That's. that's- <laughs> Mr. Marijuana That's Pants. Pretty grim. Pretty grim. Uh, so it, it's I, I imagine we are not alone yeah. in, in struggling with fashion and that, in fact, you can do it, to, you can use fashion as a way to build confidence and build strength and not something that you feel like you have to suffer through. There you go. I love it. Here, here. Take that, fashion. Happy pants. Happy pants. You should try wearing your pants into a lake. <laughs> Stick around for a glimpse into next week's show. But first, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial 
at www.audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle, your uh, other generic MP3 player. I don't know, maybe your Zune. (laughs) This week, we're not going to pick just any of the 180,000 titles, but we will pick one that'll last as long as all the other books combined. This week, we are recommending the aforementioned Skeleton Crew by Stephen King. This is a collection along with night shift of a bunch of his short stories. Uh, You can get it on Audible. It's fantastic. I've actually listened to it myself and it's exciting because it's narrated by a whole bunch of different people including Matthew Broderick, Michael C. Hall, Paul Giamatti, Will Patton, and of course Stephen King himself. Uh, There's a lot of chilling stuff in there and a lot of really, really great stories including The Raft, which if you want to know what a fear of lakes is like, read up. It is 22 hours and 37 minutes, so say goodbye to your loved ones and enjoy (laughs) Skeleton Crew by Stephen King on audible.com. That's the drill. Listeners of What's That Smell uh, are getting this free audiobook download. And you know, so even though you have this 30-day trial to, to give it a shot, to browse the catalog, you get to keep the book that you choose. So we recommend you choose... Uh, Skeleton Crew, you don't have to. You can pick any book you want. One of the many H.P. Lovecraft uh, books Ooh, that are in the collection. Lot. Yep. Whatever you want to do, you get to keep that book. It is yours forever and ever. Amen. After your 30-day trial is up. So give it a shot. AudibleTrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Do something good with your brain. <laughs> Today's tune is Bravery by the fine Johnny Hughes. And guys, thank you so much for listening. We don't pay to advertise this show, so we appreciate you sharing it with others you think would be interested. Since we're a new show, those five-star reviews you can leave us in iTunes and Apple Podcasts really help others to discover the show. So if you like what you've heard, please share the love with a review and a comment. We can't thank you enough. Coming up next week... I have uh, family members that I have noticed, say, if we're like on a trip or something and checking out of a hotel, they will say, thank you, thank you, thanks, my man. (laughs) Can you tell the difference between the three people in that? (laughs) There are so many new words, Tom. There are so many new words. Okay. Those kinds of questions are super huge. Uh, And they scare the crap out of me. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that you think that you buy a ticket to buy a car. <laughs> that's that's also interesting. <laughs> Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Mess the Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? Can you show me if the season is ending? Is this hardship surrender? Throw this curse and see Like the start of A new year like fountains Spraying their water Like a mother or father Oh to see you If my eyes were set on you I would do Do my best